0: We're here with the author of Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. I love that title. Ron Carr joins us now. Great to see you.
1: Thanks, Terrence. A pleasure to be here.
0: I have to say, as a New Yorker, I love this title because it's very New York. Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. Come on. Keep moving. It's got attitude. Tell us about the attitude. Tell us about the title because it's catchy.
1: Well, people think it's the attitude, but it's not the attitude that we titled it. Let me ask you a question. Are you just dying to go and meet your next salesperson who's going to tell you why you have to buy something?
0: Well, I thought I was asking the question. <laughs> uh, sure.
1: Well, the reason is I ask that question of my audience is no one raises their hand. Mm-hmm. But if I ask them, you know, how many of you, when you have to make a decision, want help to make sure you're making the right decision, they all raise their hands. Okay. And what that tells us is that in today's age, people want to be led. They don't want to be sold to. Sales has changed dramatically than in the 80s. -hmm. In the 80s, a salesperson would come in and educate you about your product or service. Uh You don't need that today. You know more about the product and service from the internet by the time someone talks to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to regurgitate what they already understand, you're just wasting your time.
0: Right. And frankly, it's kind of insulting. It's it's like, do you think I didn't do my research and I don't already know all of this? Absolutely.
1: And you're not treating them as an educated consumer. Right. So instead, it's a different process. We need to find out what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to avoid, and then help them get there. So that's why it's about leading. And so the book basically is about if you're going to sell today, you need to lead. If you lead, you'll sell. If you don't, you will be pushed out of the way.
0: Out of the way. Now, when you release the book, What surprised you in terms of readership?
1: Well, that's great. You know, I thought that it was just sales executives and maybe CEOs reading it. The fact that they wound up on a CEO bestseller several times.
0: congratulations. Thank you. It was really
1: nice. But what really got me, Taryn, was when I got emails from retired professors who blogged about the book saying that if they they wished they read the book while they were teaching because they would have been a better teacher. And then I got emails from head coaches in the SEC who brought me down to teach their coaches and how to be better coaches. So what it's really about, it's not about people who just sell. It's anybody. It could be anybody who's trying to influence. It's really about the concept of how do you influence with power. And that's what this book will help you with. Right.
0: So it's applicable to all sorts of disciplines. Absolutely. And I like the fact that you mentioned anecdotes of, you know, people outside of the sales force where these, you know, traits are applicable because, you know, people in HR or, you know, other disciplines are wondering, I don't, you know, they're probably saying, I don't need to read a sales book, but, but all these sort of practices... You know, can be used by really anybody.
1: Well, yes, and it's even how you buy from vendors, you know, you're still selling, you know, because you want certain deals. But it it goes more to what I call a high-performance sales culture. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that companies, if they're going to sell more, have to be a high-performance sales culture. And that means everybody in your organization has to understand the sales process and support it, and support it with their interactions. You know, Taryn, when I was selling initially in the early 80s, there was really only one bridge of contact between the buying organization and the selling organization, and that was me, the salesperson. Right. But today there's many lines of interaction. You know, shipping goes to receiving. Engineers on both sides are talking. So there's a lot of interaction with the customer. So they have to understand this concept of influence. They have to understand what the sales process are so that they can support it and help move the relationship forward.
0: Now, the subtitle of the book is The Seven Traits of Great Sellers. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. It's lucky number seven.
1: <laughs> well, seven is important because they're very powerful numbers in English language. They're three, five, seven, and ten. We're to understand those numbers, you know, and that's why those numbers are important. So we didn't make seven up to half seven. We actually had to condense them into seven. But these are the traits of leadership. And when I said you have to lead, I went to the traits of leadership and I wanted to know if you can port them to the sales process. And absolutely, I mean, vision. We know that's important for a leader. Well, it's important for a sales executive, too. They have a vision of what you want the relationship to be, look like. Building alliances, we do more through others. You know, asking the right questions, you know, creating value propositions, accountability, communications, and so forth. They all relate to the sales process.
0: Now, you mentioned alliance, and you touch upon this in the book. Why are alliances so important? And, and beyond that, there's more than one type of alliance.
1: Yeah, you have the uh, internal alliance inside the company you need help to make sure you can support the deal. The external could be referrals, and advocates, people that may not do business with you, but they really like you and they could be talking about you and supporting you in the marketplace. So there's no such thing as being a Lone Ranger in business today. You can only get ahead through alliances with the right people, but it's the alliances with right people.
0: So of all the traits, which one do you see C-suite executives displaying the strongest and which ones do they need to work on?
1: So with the C-suite, because I deal a lot with the C-suite executives, you know, it's hard to remember all the seven traits, so I broke it into three mindsets. The first one is creation versus competition. Are you looking at competing in the marketplace or creating new results for your clients? It's a good distinction. And right? it's a big distinction. And I teach the CEO, stop worrying about what somebody else is doing. Go create better results. And in one case, we were working with a multinational corporation that was headquartered out of Germany, and they had um, 60% of the world market share, and they created this new technology that saved the, the copper mines from going bankrupt. But they were always having to bid, and it always came down to price. And when they understood this, the idea of creation, I worked with them for 18 months, transformed the relationship with this big company, where they threw the bidding process out, and Awarded my client a two hundred million dollar contract over ten years. It was the wow. first such contract in that industry. But it's because we came from creation versus competing. Okay. We didn't create different things that caught their attention, and it wasn't changing the product, by the way. It was just creating a different way of how we leverage our core competencies to have greater impact on the customer. Okay. So that's the first mindset. Okay. What's the second? Second mindset is openings versus closings. All right. Every CEO goes, well, you know, you're going to increase my people's closing ratios. You're going have them close better. And I said, the problem is not your closing ratio, the problem is your openings. Hmm. We don't open the conversations properly. We're going in on on the self-focused mindset. We're, We're bragging about what we do. We don't open with positioning. We don't open with outcomes. We have to specialize in talking about outcomes. That's what separates us. Not our products, not the features, but what do we represent to the customer through outcomes and how we're gonna help them. That leverage you at the highest possible point and then you get into other conversations. So if you can open with outcomes and then ask the right questions, you're gonna be in a better position. Okay. And then the third is what we talked about, it's alliances versus the Lone Ranger. And we talked about why being alliances is much more powerful than acting as a Lone Ranger.
0: Right, especially in the world we live Digital world—it's exactly. a completely different playing field. Exactly. Now you mentioned the CEO bestseller list right. earlier, so I was curious: what what role does the CEO play in sales?
1: Huge. Okay. Everything starts from the top, so the CEO definitely gives down the the culture and how he operates, and he dictates the expectations to his uh, direct reports, and it goes on down. Now I deal with Fortune 500 companies, but I've also dealt with a lot of uh, small to mid-sized companies on the 10 to $2 billion range, let's say. And a lot of these CEOs don't even know what it means to be in sales today. They don't even know how to support the salespeople. And they don't even know that they are the company's best salesperson.
0: How do they not know this? I mean, it seems like a no
1: brainer. Oh, they hide, they're afraid mm-hmm. to go out on a call. I had this one CEO, a $60 million company, right? And I said, when was the last time you were out with the marketplace? He goes, oh, they don't want to see me. I said. You need to get out there and speak to another CEO of, you know, the customer you're talking to. Oh, they don't want to see me. After two years keeping me on retainer, me beating him over the head, mm-hmm. he finally took the risk to go in to see one of his best customers. And? He was shocked. Uh-huh. What was the outcome? He called me up because you wouldn't believe it. I said, what? They said, we're so glad you came. What took you so long?
0: <laughs> Where have you fi- been?
1: We wanted to see if you care about us. Uh-huh. And then what he started finding out is, is that all of a sudden they're telling him things that, that he would never have found out. And here's what he really learned. What he really learned is that he didn't have to sell going out. That's what he was afraid of. He's not really vested in the sales process, he was afraid he would fail. But his role is not to sell. To support the sales process, his role is to speak on a CEO to CEO level. Find out about the guy's business, where he's going at a higher level. Just have a conversation which he knows how to do so well because he built his company. Right. It's important just to be visible. Exactly. You know? I mean, leadership and, show
0: right. and show that you care. Right. And it wasn't that he didn't care. he was just more of his fear.
1: It was his fear. But the
0: perception is, it was, you know, he's it, detached. It
1: was his fear. So it's And important. I find that with a lot of CEOs. You won't believe it. It's amazing.
0: I, I do believe it. <laughs> that's why I got to read the book.
1: C-Suite Radio.
0: Now, something else you talk about in the book, which I thought was interesting, was this idea of integrated yeah. dialogue. Tell yeah. us more about that. I
1: got that from my mother. She was a woman ahead of her time. She was a world-renowned economist, a Vice President at Chase. She started a wow. counter-trade group. Very successful in many parts of her life. And I remember I asked her later on in life, you know, what made you so successful? And she goes, the dialogue. And it's what she called the integrated dialogue. I said, tell me more. And she goes, the answers to all of our questions are in the conversations we have. We don't have to figure it out on ourselves. If you just ask the right questions and get people involved, you're going to find out what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. Right. And the integrated dialogue is not just about getting information, which is important. I'll tell you why in a second, but it's also about then keeping you actively engaged. You know, I have your attention, you know, having mm-hmm. a banter. If It was a one-sided conversation. You'd be looking at your cell phone, you'd be looking sure. at your cell phone in your mind if you didn't have one mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. I would have lost your attention. So the integrated dialogue gets the full attention, which is so important, and then it gives me information that I need that's so critical because it gives me now context. Context is the key to influence. If I find out what's important to you, what you're trying to achieve, and what you don't want to have happen, I now can present my idea to you in the context of what's important, and that's when you get true influence.
0: Do you find that a lot of C-suite executives omit context?
1: Absolutely. Huh. And it's funny, uh, we have an example, let's say right here you know, in New York, uh, Bell Labs in New Jersey you know, in the 80s was, was famous for this. They would uh, you know, pioneer all these brand new technologies the market never bought, because they'd sit there in a, in, in a bubble thinking, oh, well, the people would want this, and there was never a market. That's not the way it works. you gotta, you got to find what the market wants. So C-suite executives have to be with the market. They need to be having that integrated dialogue. Interesting enough, though, Steve Jobs at Apple, mm-hmm. everybody thinks, well, he did the same thing. He didn't ask the market what they wanted because he just came to the market and said, this is what you're going to need. This is what you
0: need, right. This is what you want. But right. that's
1: not necessarily true. He did that. But how did they come up with those answers? They came up because his team looked at their cell phones and said, what don't we like and what would we like better? So he still asked the consumer. The consumer happened to be inside the walls of Apple, Bell Labs never asked anybody. So we have to be in front of our customers, show them we care, but more importantly, ask what they're dealing with, ask them what the challenges are, because that leads to your next uh, invention. Right. So,
0: I mean, it's key just to use your internal resources.
1: Absolutely.
0: First and foremost. You mentioned Apple. Tell us about some some more success stories that are using the con- the concepts effectively from your book.
1: Well, one is that $200 million negotiated agreement we talked about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it could be small businesses. I had one consultant who just, you know, heard me speak one time and he was in a program I was doing and then he read the book and he closed his largest consulting deal the next day. Um, I've got CEOs now that are taking this process after we worked with them side by side and they're literally asking better questions, they're uncovering new opportunities, That they're, they're, they're sealing the partnership with their customers better, and it's leading to greater market share, it's leading to greater sales, but more importantly, it's even leading to greater morale within their companies.
0: So it's an equation. So for the city executive who's having a hard time getting there, what's your best advice? I mean, you know, it's one thing to say it, but, but to put it into action, you know, overcoming that fear, just, just dive in. I mean,
1: the thing for anybody is you can't be in this game alone. Because if you're in this game alone, then when you have that fear, you're going to stop You know, because you're not going to move forward. So it's getting into a mentoring group like a CRO. It's, it's it's having some other colleagues, you know, other CEOs who are in the same game with you that you can call up but hold each other accountable and be willing to go deep. You know, I, I speak for YPO. That's what these companies are for, young presidents organizations, for these CEOs to get involved. It's what the C-suite here is all about too. Right. You're providing guidance to the CEOs and saying, you're not alone. This is what everybody's facing. Here how you do it. But if you just do it by yourself and you don't have accountability to peers and you're not making commitments then the chances of you really breaking through those fears is reduced. So if you want to break through those fears get yourself into some kind of a Relationship group, mentoring group, make commitments to be there to support each other, but to hold each other accountable, just like you do with your employees.
0: Okay, so you need to have a support system. Yes, there needs to be a supporting cast.
1: Michael Jordan had a had had his own uh, trainer, even though he had coaches on the Bulls, right? And when before game day in Chicago, he had his trainer come to his home in a full size basketball court. Do a two-hour workout. Then he went and did his pre-game warm-ups, and then did the, right. then did the game. Jack Welch, all your top CEOs have their own coaches. Yes, you can't be in this game alone.
0: Right, you can't be a one-man band. Yes. Okay, that's a really good takeaway. That's quality
1: alliances we talked about. Yeah, also.
0: yeah, making these alliances. But it, but it is true. You know, you think you've reached the top, it's going great. You know, you can only toast yourself, but you really you need a you need a supporting team. So. Right. Very insightful, Ron. Really, And someone
1: who challenges you, too.
0: That, too. Way. That, too. Some really great tips. Um, you know, seven traits. Uh, we've we've touched upon, you know, all of them in a small capacity. But really, to get to the nitty-gritty, you have to read the book. So thank you. Thank you Invaluable so much. information. It's Thanks for pleasure. being here. Thank you. And if you'd like to read the book and find out more about these seven lucky traits, head to our website, com. That's c sweetbookclubcom I'm Taryn Winterbrill. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV. Turning the volume up on business.